0: Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Maximize your leadership potential and professional advancement and be inspired. We're delighted to be your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development from a women in business perspective. We share our original research, explore industry and workforce trends and interview female executives, allies, and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things women in business, leadership challenges, talent management, organizational development, change management, and diversity and inclusion.
1: Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. In this WBIL podcast episode, Angela Schill and I talk with Alexis Palmer about navigating higher education leadership as a feedback. Angela and Alexis, welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: It is a pleasure to be with both of you today. And today we have Alexis Palmer joining us as our illustrious guest. I'm super excited, Alexis, to be able to have a nice conversation with you around navigating higher education leadership as a female. And Alexis and I go way back. Uh, in fact, when I was a brand new green faculty member at Utah Valley University. I literally think it was my first week. I went to the new faculty convocation, and Alexis was tabling outside of the the uh, UVU ballroom talking about the uh, Volunteer and Service Learning Center, and that's when we got connected. And ever since, uh, we've been uh, close and worked together on all sorts of things. So it's been fun to see Alexis firsthand go through a lot of her leadership journey and as she's um, moved through her career over the last 14 plus years. And of course, we're again joined by Angela Schill, uh, who is co-hosting this episode uh, with me. Alexis, as we get started, I'm just going to share your bio with everybody. Alexis Palmer joined the Utah Valley University in 2004 and has served in a variety of roles. She has been in her current role as Associate Vice President of Student Life and Dean of Students since 2014. Her motivation for working in student affairs began when she was a resident assistant at Idaho State University. The RA experience was transformational and created the foundation of her passion for engaging women in leadership, advancing inclusion initiatives, and student development. She graduated with her bachelor's in elementary education from Boise State University, her master's in youth and family recreation from Brigham Young University, and she received an education doctorate from Grand Canyon University in organizational leadership and development. Her dissertation was a phenomenological study exploring the lived experiences of non-LDS employees who work in a predominantly LDS environment. Again, a pleasure to have you, Alexis. Anything else you would like to share with us by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in.
0: Sure. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And uh, one thing I was just going to mention is uh, the whole reason I got a doctorate is so that my daughter in her phone contacts, my 16 year old, has me under as Dr. Palmer. So whenever the phone rings, it says Dr. Palmer and I love it. I love <laughs> it for her. That's how that's that's what she calls me. Everyone else can call me Alexis, but she has to call me Dr. Palmer. Um, but I was also going to just mention, um, outside of my work world, um, I do have three daughters, two teenagers, and then um, a preteen. So um, our life is very full and busy with them. Um, and I'm very active in uh, the food allergy world. Actually, our oldest daughter has a severe peanut allergy, and I'm really passionate about the intersection of mental health and food allergies. So I work closely with the Utah Food Allergy Network. I'm actually the treasurer our utah food allergy network and look work a lot in policy and advocacy related to laws um focused on on food allergy safety um and that that intersection that uh, a lot of kids have with mental health um and with their food allergy combined together so that's another passion of mine that i get to i get to engage in
1: and i don't know alexis how you got your daughter to refer to you as doctor no. um, my my children definitely do not call me doctor, uh, and they, they they definitely call me other less spectacular things on a regular basis. Um, so that, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I think that one thing. Yeah, I think Angela and Alexis. I think you both know that uh, my wife Jackie uh, finished her doctorate about a year yes. and a half ago, and uh, so now our our claim to fame is that we are doctors Westover and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we love it when people introduce us as doctors westover otherwise we just prefer our first names john and jackie
2: i like the doctors westover i'm gonna go it's with that cool. <laughs> <laughs> <Me Other too. laughs> that's that's amazing alexis i just have a couple of questions for you um Great. you've been at uvu for almost two decades i yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've built some amazing roles as you've as you've I want to say, gone up the ladder. I'm assuming, and in leadership roles. And I'm just wondering, what if some of what are some of the challenges that you faced as you've navigated through higher education in all the various leadership positions as a female? What has that been like for you? Yeah, um, I think a couple of things. First, I do want
0: to say that for me specifically, my experience in navigating higher ed in a career. Um, I really owe a lot of it to my sponsors. So I've had incredible mentors and sponsors who have tapped me for opportunities that have helped further my career. So um, whether it was um, Dr. Brian Birch who encouraged me to apply for the community and continuing ed position, even though I didn't feel like I was qualified or I had the experience, um, I I had been the director of our volunteer and service learning center, or the center for service learning, for about eight and a half years. And he reached out to me and tapped me and encouraged me. And I and I did, I took that risk. Um, or when uh, the Dean of Students position opened up nine years ago. And again, it wasn't something I was looking at. And there were many people who reached out to me uh, and encouraged me, tapped me, uh, and helped me um, see that that was something that I could do. So there were a lot of others that um, paid the way for me, but were also advocates and sponsors, um, both female and male, um, um, faculty, non-faculty. Uh, it just it was all over the place. And so that's something that I think has helped me navigate my career in higher ed is to have um, really meaningful sponsors and, and mentors in my life. Um, and, and all of them are still, still central to, to the work that I do today. So I think that's one way I've been able to navigate higher ed um, I think the other aspect of, of what I've been able to do with navigating, and I don't know if it's different anywhere else, right? I've, my career is in higher education. Um, that's the industry I've chosen to be in for a variety of reasons. Um, I'm very passionate about education and the impact it can make on a community. So it's something I wanted to be a part of, um, as well as student development. That's something else that I'm, I'm very passionate about. Um So, so I I don't know outside of of higher ed what it's like, Um, but when I, as I've also navigated higher ed, um, a few things that I've been able to do that I think have helped in addition to those mentors and sponsors, um, and one of them is um, just giving yourself freedom to stop apologizing. Uh, that is something I work very closely with my team on, especially my female leaders. Um, I have one director who banks basically a case of Diet Coke for me. And then every time she apologizes, I'm like, you have 20 sorry's left. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 and listen, you got 20 sorry's left. And after that, you're done. No more sorry's. Um, because you really need to be who you are and you need to own it. And so that freedom from apologizing was really transformational. Um, gosh, it was probably about six or six years ago, six, seven years ago, when I went to a um, a women's leadership institute focused on higher ed, and and where one of the speakers really talked about that. You know, when you when you walk into a room and you bump into someone, the first thing you say is you're, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're, I'm not. No, you're, you're, I'm not sorry for taking up space. I'm not going to apologize anymore for taking space um i can say excuse me but sorry is for doing something wrong and um the women around me are constantly apologizing and saying sorry whether that's apologizing for taking up space and that could be physical space it could be um mental space um giving an idea and then apologizing after it um i just I'm done with that and and so, um that's something that has helped me navigate as a female in higher ed and being who you are and and owning that. um the other the other one is, um I just have two more, but be the the Leslie Jones of your crew of your area. Um, I don't know I wish which Olympics was it? I was gonna look it up right before because I've forgotten. Um, it was a can't remember which, I mean, it's been probably like five, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, Leslie Jones, uh, who's a comedian, was so passionate about the Olympics in the USA. And there are these great clips of watching her cheering on the rowing team and cheering on the swimming team. And just um, she was their champion. And I was like, I, I want a Leslie Jones in my life. And so really just trying to work with my team um, and the people that I interact with and, and creating that supportive culture, um, providing positive social cues for other women around me. So uh, I'm, I'm passionate about that. I don't live to work. I work to live. And I want other people around me to not feel pressured that when they go home and they're spending time doing the things that they enjoy doing, that bring them joy, that bring them passion, um, that help alleviate that burnout, they don't need to be looking at email. They don't need to be responding to work-related issues. Um, I I, I want them to take lunch. I want them to feel like they have some flexibility because I... I need them to be their best self um, and, you know, really empower other women, empowered women, empower other women, right? And so um, I try, that's kind of how I view myself as wanting to be that Leslie Jones of the crew that I work with. And then the third one really in higher ed, this is, a, this is a significant one, at least for me, it's just to clear out all the clutter. There is so much noise going on, so many different stakeholders, and you have to be able to recognize what that noise is recognize where you need to say no so that you can focus your priorities and get back to the basics and so for me my focus is overall student development and well-being so if it doesn't pertain to student well-being i and it might be so important and amazing but i'm going to have to say no to it because my focus is is making sure the students have their needs met so that they can be successful. And so I, I think uh, clearing out that clutter is really key. And, and, and as, as women, it's hard to say no, um, I, but that's also something that you, you have to be able to say no and you shouldn't have to apologize for saying no, whether that's taking on an additional assignment um, that will have a negative impact potentially on all your other workload that down the road, is not necessarily going to be the most beneficial um, to being in a meeting and being asked to take notes when that's not your role. Um, So it's okay to say no, clear out that clutter and, and stop apologizing. So those are, I guess, three personal things that have kind of helped me. But then that one big thing was having mentors and sponsors in my life to
2: help me move along. To me, it sounds like those are quite universal. I think As applicable as it is in higher ed, I think that across the board sounds like incredible advice. Incredible. Yeah, I think right. I think any
0: organization you're in and you're trying to navigate, it's probably pretty common. Um, The people are just different. The problems might be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. The nuances, the complexities, but overall, the the basic foundational issues are the same.
1: (laughs) Can I ask you just kind of double click on? On the boundary setting that you were just talking about, I, I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. Um, I know saying no has always been something that I've not been very good at. Um, but if you haven't noticed, I am a dude, so it's different for me than it is for you. And uh, I know if it's if it was hard if it's been hard for me, I, I imagine um, it's something that you've had to wrestle with as well. Uh, how do you how do you disrupt that tendency to, to just say yes to everything, um, and to, to sacrifice your personal boundaries, you know, to, to do things that, like you said, they may be things you believe in. They may be important things, um, but they may not directly fit with your stewardship or what, you know, your, your core responsibilities are. How do you start that? If, if you're stuck, like many of us are caught in a trap of always saying yes to everything.
0: Yeah, sure. And I absolutely am also in that trap. And so as much as I would love to say I'm great at this all the time, I'm always having to kind of pivot and, and correct that. Um and and I also, you know, want to recognize I have some privilege with being at UVU for 19 years in my I know the organization. Um I also am a white, this gender female. Um, so so I have my, my BIPOC colleagues may have a very different experience than I do when I'm able to say no um so I do want to just put that out there that because I because I've worked here for so long and know the organization I feel like I, I have a little bit more privilege than other people do um so so yeah so for me um I think there are ways it's how you how you say no so um it's you know, let me, let me think about this. And then I talk to my supervisor and say, if I'm going to take this on, I have to put this on the back burner. And as long as you're okay with that um, and understand those unintended consequences that might come from putting this other project on the back burner, then okay, maybe maybe it's okay to say yes to this, but something else is going to have to give or, if it's you know if it's a partnership I want to start with another colleague or department, um, I may need to weigh that into saying yes versus saying no. Um, if I'm trying to try something new to help me personally or professionally, uh, that weighs into saying yes versus saying no. Um, but I definitely think the older I have gotten in my years, in my middle-aged years, um, there are a lot of things that aren't emergencies. In my world, what I work with, (laughs) uh, I know what emergencies are. And an emergency is um, dealing with some pretty horrific things that students have experienced. So most of the times, the requests that you get, um, don't fall in that category, and, and that's just a different perspective I have than probably other people do about mm-hmm. where um, where you need to put your energy and time. And um, as much as I love UVU, your job will never love you back. Yeah. That was some advice I actually got from NASP, our National Association for Student Affairs Professionals. There's a podcast and um, that I was listening to, and, and a um, a very well-respected VP from um, who's been uh, in the field for decades and decades talked about that. You know, your job will never love you back; it just won't. <laughs> and so, um, I I have to make sure that I'm feeding my soul and and what brings me joy. And um, again, I really appreciate my job and the people I work with. Um, but I don't love it 24 seven. So I'm going to, I'm going to have those boundaries.
2: That's amazing. Just, I think boundaries is always something that I'm working on and kind of also when you're saying no to something, letting go of the guilt that comes with that. And I think that clicks, that kind of connects to what you were talking about with not apologizing to other people, but also not needing to do that for yourself, have your back when you say no and not let it haunt you later. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's hard to learn. I mean, I think, um, we're conditioned from a very early age, uh, to, to please others, to put others' needs first before your own. Um, and so that, that's, there's some cultural things with that. Um, so yeah, you have to, you have to, something you have to definitely work through. And, and so, with my daughters i teach them when they start saying sorry for things like giving their opinion i'm like why stop stop saying sorry we're done with that um to if a friend asks them to do something and they just don't want to do it to say no i don't i don't want to go do that instead of coming up with some other story about why you don't want to go and do something
2: tacking on to that a little bit with your daughters and then in your career as well finding your voice and I think this is all connected we're just kind of building here but finding your voice as a female in higher education as a female in the world what have you done or what do you suggest and how do you help other people that you're mentoring to do that
0: yeah um I think there's some interesting complexities with finding your voice as a female in higher ed and one of them is that academic component so um, I'm a student affairs professional I did not go the academic route um, and part of me, you know, felt like I needed to get a doctorate so that my academic colleagues would hear me. So you know, so I not only was struggling with being um, a female, being a woman in in the in the workplace and navigating that aspect, but on top of that, not having academic credentials that academics felt like I should have to be able to be at the table and to be able to share that voice. So that that was difficult. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that I am any more, that I'm better at my job because of my doctorate, or that I have more insightful comments because of my doctorate. I, I don't think that that has changed. But, um, I think, um, academic people probably have more, well, that one, those letters behind my name, um they might listen to me a little bit more than if I didn't have those letters. So that was part of the issue that I would have to, that I had to navigate, um, which can be, can be frustrating. Uh, And then, you know, having that seat at the table, um, it's not just like being at the table. I, I, I remember listening to one speaker talk about like, just bring your folding chair. If your seat, if there's not even a seat for you at the table, you just bring that folding chair and you just, you just bust in and you start engaging in that conversation. Um, so, so one thing though is like, uh, is is um, if I was, you know, at the table in a conversation, feeling like I'm not being heard, is that's when I work really closely with your allies. Um, or those those sponsors in your life, and to, to help them um, say what needs to be said if people aren't hearing you. And again, now I've been at the institution for 19 years, I have a lot of institutional knowledge, and I, I don't find myself in those situations very often anymore, um, but now I see my colleagues, those who are just starting out their career, um, and seeing them going through the same thing of that. So it's really, it makes me pause and make sure that I'm letting those voices, um, especially our our BIPOC voices, um, make sure that they're at the table. And it's not just a folding chair, it's a real chair um, and time is given and people are stopping and listening to what's being said.
1: Again, as the resident dude on the call, uh, I'm wondering uh, what advice you would have for other um, women in the audience who are looking, you know, for ways to to navigate higher ed uh, careers, in uh, in trying to develop relationships with allies and sponsors and mentors, mm-hmm. um, and and what advice would you have for any male listeners who are you know want to be an ally, yeah. but uh, aren't really quite sure how to navigate that?
0: Yeah, I think I'm gonna start with that second question who wants to be an ally and not sure how to, how to start that. Um, I think you just start having a conversation with your colleagues and ask them what, what are the barriers that you're facing in the workplace. Um, for many women in academics, especially, you'll start to hear women talk about the academic mental workload that they take on that their male colleagues don't necessarily experience. Um, so uh, that can be one of those conversation starters. And then what can you do to help remove that, that barrier? So if you're sitting in a meeting and assignments are being divvied out and the female is getting all the assignments, which I have seen, I have experienced, um, stop and volunteer yourself to take on something or ask why is this person, why do we constantly give so-and-so all of this specific workload and the rest of us walk away with nothing that we have to do so I think that that's one way that um, our, our our male allies can can stand up and, to, and be a part of that um, I've challenged my uh, direct reports who are male to when they are in meetings and when, when they're working with their teams to to really stop and look at the division of workload that's happening within their when within their own departments and what can they do to adjust that um, so, for the allies, that's what i at least the allies I've worked with um that has been the most helpful for me personally, but that I've also seen some really positive impacts from across campus. Um, and John, I absolutely consider you one of one of the most amazing allies that we have on campus to help with that. So thank you
1: For the female audience, um, how how can they effectively start to build? their network of, of mentors and sponsors and allies as they're navigating their career?
0: Um, Well, actually one formal thing you can do, which um, is pretty great at, in the state of Utah, specifically, I'm, I, I work at Utah Valley University. So I'm in, I'm in the state of Utah. Um, We actually have a Utah women's higher education network, which is a substantial group of women from across the state who work at various colleges and universities. Um, who are involved in this. Um, There is a board that's made up of women from all across the state. They put on conferences and events, monthly webinars. That's a great way to just start dipping your toe into how to navigate higher ed as as a female leader. Um, And then on UVU, we have our own chapter. So there's a UN chapter that you can also get involved with. So that's within the state of Utah, which is really, really great way. Um, And then within higher ed in general, um, for me, the most transformational thing that I did was I went to a a women's leadership institute um, that was focused for higher ed professionals. And I have a notebook full from, again, years ago that completely changed the way that I viewed myself as a human, (laughs) how I viewed myself as a professional in the work that I do. Um, That gave me the confidence to do my job. I didn't see myself as a Dean of Students, as an associate VP. Um, And that conference, having others around me, hearing from VPs and presidents about um, the concerns that they had, feeling inadequate, having the imposter syndrome that I know, we, you know, the podcast has talked about before. Um, being around other people who are experiencing that was really um, transformational for me. And then I think finally, the, the last thing is uh, just don't ever doubt bringing your full self to work. Bring who you are, bring, bring, bring everything that you have to offer um because that is what creates the the uniqueness um, of each of our departments of our thought patterns um, and I don't want those voices to ever be squashed and so we need we need empowered women to empower women and and that's what I hope we see more of well, that's so powerful
2: alexis i, I feel like you're where you should be in your career as someone who can make that, have that message. It's it's a beautiful message. I was going to ask you, do you have any, any kind of like last piece of insight to share? And I feel like you just did that, but I don't know if you have anything else. I just feel like students, women leaders are, um, this is just such great advice for what you're passing on to the people that you influence <laughs> at UVU and listeners to this podcast and me personally. Oh, thank you. That's
0: very kind of you. Um, I think I just will maybe end with a, a quick experience that happened to me, um, another you know lesson that I learned. Uh, a few years ago, <clears throat> I was traveling with another colleague and we were training, we were presenting on um, how interfaith work can actually happen on, on campuses. And we were at um, a university in Southern California And uh, my colleague is an exceptional presenter. And he, uh, he just, you just walk away every time you hear him just feeling very motivated. And he did um, just a great, a great job with this presentation. And I had to go after him. And the first thing I said when I got up was, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I just, I'm not, I'm not this person. I'm so sorry that, um my, my, like this person, like he, he has a great, he's so great with like, also the visuals and mine aren't the best. And I'm so sorry. And it kept going. And um I will never forget this. A vice president from this, from this university was in the audience. And she came up to me afterwards. She's actually the vice president of their um, like institutional advancement. And she came up to after me afterwards. And she said, can I, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, she's like, we go on a walk? Sure. And for about an hour, she took me on a walk and talked to me and basically called me out and said, Alexis, why did you do that? Who you are is enough. You being up there was enough. Your presentation was enough. You did not need to qualify anything. You did not need to apologize for anything. You bring it, you own it. Don't ever apologize for anything or for going after A mail and a presentation, and that has stuck with me. I still stay in contact with her, and every so often I tell her. I almost apologized today, and then I remembered (laughs) what she said to me. Um, But that was really transformational for me. And she didn't know me. She didn't have to take the time to do that, but she did, and um, that is something I'll forever be grateful for. And if you don't have a second thought, if you can reach out to someone and take them to the side and say, you know what? Stop. Don't be apologizing. You don't need to do that. You're, you are amazing with what you're doing right now. Um, that, that spoke a lot to me. And so I think that I don't just, I want people to just reach out and, and again, empowered women empower women. And we need more of that.
1: Alexis, thank you so much. Uh, our time is almost gone, but, uh, we just want to, <laughs> again, Uh, We appreciate you being here with us. Really quickly, how can people get connected with you if they want to uh, talk more?
0: Um, Probably the best thing to do is, you can find me on LinkedIn, Alexis Palmer. That's a great way to reach me.
1: We encourage our audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Alexis is doing and what she can do for you. And as always, we hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And we hope you all have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.